0: I rarely carry food or water with me. You know, all my PRs are done with no food, no liquid, you know, at least at the marathon distance. And, you know, it, it can mean navigating through the forest without using map and compass. So it can mean prowling around at <laughs> night without lights. So it's ways just to tap into, you know, the your original human capabilities uh, because it just helps you understand who you are and what you're capable of. And, and, and I feel the risk in the modern world, we have so much technology that we... Um, you sometimes end up in this place where you're sort of coddled. And I I don't know that that's a great strategy. It never seemed like one to me. Hello and welcome to Running Tales. I'm Craig Lewis and this is the
1: podcast where we explore the extraordinary stories of everyday runners. This week's guest is Ken Posner, an ultra runner who has completed more than 100 ultras and marathons, including the Badwater Double, a grueling 292 mile race through Death Valley. As if that wasn't enough, Ken does a lot of his running barefoot, He's a self-proclaimed minimalist who eschews many of the modern comforts when running. Ken is also the race director of the Schwengen Ridge Trail Ultra, a 70-mile route that traverses the length of the mountain range it is named after. Running from High Point State Park in New Jersey to Rosendale, New York, the SRT passes through rolling hills, wetlands and the mountains themselves. When I spoke to Ken back at the start of January, I started our chat by asking him to tell me all about that race.
0: We call it the SRT for short. The race takes place uh, in September. This year it'll be September 8th and 9th. It's a little bit different from your typical trail race Uh, and there are three uh, distances, half marathon, 30 mile, and a full 70 mile. They're all point to point on top of this gorgeous uh, ridge in the Hudson Valley. So with spectacular 100 mile views and very, very, very rare, you know, pitch pine barren ecosystems and waterfalls and shiny white cliffs. But what's a little bit different about these this race is it's a so-called unsupported format. So we have checkpoints, we take safety very carefully, we've never lost anybody, but we don't provide any aid. So you gotta bring your own food, you gotta bring a water filter uh, to get water from the streams. And then secondly, uh, we don't mark the course. Now the course does have blazes, but it's a little bit, you know, it changes from one trail, one color to the next. We give people an app on their phone so they can follow where they're going. So it's not an orienteering course, but you got to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. So the race requires a little bit extra mindfulness, and the fastest person doesn't always win it. It's the person who's fast and can keep their their act together <laughs> as they supply themselves with food and water, and just make sure they stay focused on where they are as they're moving through the uh, through the forest.
1: What are the weather conditions like during that that time of year?
0: Oh, gosh, it's beautiful. So September is the tail end of um, of summer. So, you know, it's uh, it's cool in the evenings, maybe 50 degrees, uh, which is uh, that maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 cent uh, Celsius. And then during the day, it could be a little bit warm, maybe in the 70s, sometimes in the 80s. So it's really a beautiful time of year. Is this an event
1: that you've taken part or take part in in yourself? Is that what prompted you to get involved and start this this formally?
0: Yeah, well, I, I ran the, I think I was probably the first person to through run the the SRT, the Shuanggang Ridge Trail, which I did in, oh gosh, 2014. And I had so much fun. I thought it was such a special experience that I created the race with a friend, uh, Todd Jennings. We created the race and in, in, I think we started it in 2015
1: and i'm assuming that the the kind of runners you you attract to this are going to be the i hesitate to use the word elite but the, the people who are running regular ultras uh, and very very long distances you're not you're not likely just to um uh, rock up and and do this with with very little running experience
0: you know it's interesting craig we we attract a wide range of folks from you know elite to people who are literally just getting into running one thing about the participants There, I would say that they they embody the spirit of self-reliance. That's part of what we're trying to promote. There's nothing wrong with a conventional race, you know, which is marked and has wonderful food at the aid station. That's all great. But this is a race that promotes self-reliance and the ability to manage yourself along the course. And, you know, those are the kinds of values that you obviously want to have if you're out on your own in the wilderness or fast packing or what, you know, trying to set a fastest own time uh, on an important trail. So we tend to uh, track people who are very well prepared. And so in the half mile, sorry, the half marathon in the 30 mile race, which we have very generous time limits, uh, close to 100% of the people complete the race. Now, the 70 mile is a difficult distance. So typically it's around 50% completion. Yeah. So that's a, that's a difficult distance for sure.
1: But you're not necessarily setting out, like for example, say with the Barclay Marathons or something like that, to create something which is impossible for people to complete.
0: No, no this is not a Barclays. <laughs>
1: yeah. And what sort of times do people uh, get through to, to to win the race to to, to finish uh-huh. it?
0: Well, for the seventy mile, or when I ran it in back in the day, I finished in just under twenty four hours, and I was pretty pleased with myself. But today we've got people who are just tearing up the the course in like sixteen hours. So 16 hours, these are fit, you know, ultra runners, uh, for sure. Uh, But still, it's, you know, it's a rocky course in places. There's not a huge amount of climbing, but it's a course that keeps changing. So it's sometimes difficult to get um, a rhythm going. Uh And it's very, very rocky in certain places, which slows people down.
1: And if you're talking about, say, the half marathon distance for a exceedingly average runner like myself <laughs> I, I i can do a, a a very basic sort of nice flat road marathon and, uh, half marathon sorry and anything between around 1 145 143 and 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 two hours if i was to take on uh something like the srt what would what, what i what would i be looking at
0: well give yourself you know three hours yeah but here's the funny thing you know all the races end at midnight so the half marathon you it starts at 10:30 in the morning so you literally have 13 and a half hours to complete it. So that's right. why I said we've almost never had people not complete it. Sometimes something goes wrong. Um we had a woman do the 30 miler where you have um 15 hours. We had we had a, a woman do it twice barefoot. Right. Yeah, wow. took her on the 30 miler took her like around 12 hours or so. So um but you know so You can do it. (laughs) (laughs) By
1: the way,
0: we give a a special award—a little barefoot pin—and that's for people who go barefoot, or in sandals, or in Vibram Five Fingers, you know, super minimalist uh, type (laughs) footwear, just for the fun of it.
1: Well, that brings us perhaps quite nicely onto your own story, actually, because if people find you on Twitter, you're there as as barefoot Ken. Does that mean you're running every race barefoot, or is it just? uh... Uh, every now and again or what's the what's the sort of thinking behind it and the rationale
0: so for 2022 when i tabulated all the numbers i was 93 uh, percent barefoot and you know sometimes in new york the weather is just too cold or there's too much snow or ice so but for the most part 100 percent barefoot and it started for me several years ago when i read you know chris mcdougall's book born to run which won't surprise you And I said to myself, you know, barefoot could be a good idea because it'll improve my natural form and make me more resilient to injuries, right? So that was the initial idea. And then in the back of my mind, I said, you know what, Posner, you're getting a little bit old. So barefoot, you're probably going to be slower and shorter distances. And that might be, you know, at this point in your career, that might be okay. The surprise was that it's just more fun, now it's not always more fun. Like gravel is definitely for sure not fun. But, um, you know, also getting to that point in my career where I've set all my lifetime PRs, I really have no interest in running in shoes anymore. It's just they, I mean, they're great technology, but they, they take away the intensity. They make you start to run heavy. It's like clumping. You're just waiting for the miles to go. Uh, uh, uh. And whereas barefoot, it's super intense. And you also have this wonderful feeling of light footedness. So to me, it's just like, it's just so much fun. So I'm not at this point interested in going back. By the way, there's some great athletes some great runners who do hybrid, right? You know, they do a lot of barefoot training, but then they're out there to win races where you need to have these new shoes, where um, they feel that the shoes will take them to that extra, that final level of speed. So, you know, that's another, absolutely another option.
1: I'm probably going to ask a really, really basic question now, but for me, sure. my sort of experience of barefoot running goes not much further than watching uh, Zola Bud uh, zipping around a, a track and every everybody making a thing about the fact that she didn't have any, any running shoes on. And the only thing that comes into my head is like, I'm going to step on a, it, it, especially if I'm out on some mountain trail somewhere, I'm going to step on a stone, and that is really going to hurt my foot. Is is that just something you get used to, or is that that part of it almost?
0: That's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of it. And the first thing you learn, your feet are smart. And by the way, you think about our ancestors and, you know, shoes have been around for a while, but our ancestors, for the most part, didn't have them where <laughs> they used them only in emergencies. Right. Um, my mom was telling me that my grandmother, a uh, great grandmother went around barefoot in the old country because she was an orphan. <laughs> so nobody was going to yeah. make her shoes or buy her shoes. So feet are mission critical equipment. So you think about our ancestors, hunters and gatherers back in the day living in the forests, um, you're not going to hurt your feet. But what that means is you're going to pay attention to where you step. Yeah. So so part of the fun of barefoot, it's the original human mindfulness. And you are 100% alert and you're paying attention to everything and stumbling and just putting your foot anywhere. That's not acceptable. <laughs> so what will happen is you'll go very slowly in, on difficult terrain and very carefully. And and that kind of mindset am I am I right in thinking that for you with running that
1: that extends beyond the barefoot running because I think I've seen some some pictures of yourself on Twitter running in what looked like pretty cold conditions pretty extreme <laughs> conditions sometimes you'll be shirtless is is that all an extension of of the same thing
0: Yeah yeah for sure and I, I'm I call myself a minimalist runner And and minimalist is just a goofy term and, you know, there's a lot of ways to be minimalist and a lot of people think about it, you know, living more simply in a smaller house without as many luxury goods. So right now, you know, in the winter, I, I turn the thermostat, I leave the thermostat at 55 to 60 degrees, right? I appreciate the warmth, but I don't want to make myself dependent on technology unnecessarily, right? And that's how I clear out some space for me to sort of find that original uh, primal self, which has a lot of strength. And that's the the point of minimalism is to tap into that strength. So for sure, uh, shirtless in the winter, and that's, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Wim Hof and he's promoted training in the cold. So training in the cold, training in the heat. I rarely carry food or water with me. You know, all my PRs are done with no food, no liquid, you know, at least at the marathon distance. And, you know, it can mean navigating through the forest without using map and compass. So it can mean prowling around at <laughs> night without lights. So it's ways just to tap into, you know, the, your original human capabilities uh, because it just helps you understand who you are and what you're capable of. And, and, and I feel the risk in the modern world. We have so much technology that we um, you sometimes end up in this place where you're sort of coddled. And I, I don't know that that's a great strategy. It never seemed like one to me.
1: Uh, just going off what you said at the end there, really, I, I, I get the impression that this is something you feel that with your running, it, it translates into your everyday life and perhaps challenges you might face at at work or, you know, just cracking on with life in general, really.
0: Oh, for sure. And I've, I've long thought of running um, as a form of training. You, you know, and some people are born perfect and they go on to be, you know, great superstars. The rest of us sure. struggle along and need some help. And, and I've always like the first marathon I ran, it was like I, I felt, hey, this will make me a better person. So I think a lot of uh, I think running and other disciplines are a great training just to get that self-control, that ability to manage manage yourself through stressful environments. And for running, it's you know the physical discomfort and the anxiety. Right, and then you go to work, and your boss yells at you, or whatever, and you're like, you know, I can, I can deal with this. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and and if people are listening to this podcast and they're thinking, oh, do you know what? I quite like the idea of that. Uh, I, I I need an extra challenge on my running. I, I want to develop a bit of uh, mindfulness, a bit of resilience. How would they sort of start out along that journey? Because I'm assuming it's not the best thing to, if you've not done it before, to just uh, head out do a marathon with no sport whatsoever.
0: Well, it, um, it depends on who you are, but I think, you know, I think modern running is very sort of one dimensional, right? It's all about a speed for a certain distance and it's on a road where all the obstacles have been cleared and it's driven by clocks. Right. And it's very egotistical and that people are competing to win. And that's all fine. I love conventional races. But the point I make is that there's, you know, a thousand different directions you can go. You can go from road running to trail running or obstacle course running. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And from running to, you know, hiking and exploring the forest with respect to barefoot in particular, because that there is a bit of a transition. I think it's hard for people to do that. The first thing you have you ask yourself, you have to be a little bit of a free spirit. You have to be willing to do something that is different from other people and not everybody is going to go there. But, you know, barefoot, the way to start it is just to do a little bit on a soft spot just to, or smooth to get used to it. But then you want to train on somewhat rougher terrain because that is what will teach your body the skill of, of, of stepping lightly, which is lost in shoes, totally lost in shoes And so picking like a one mile, and I did this, a one mile loop with, uh, you know, dirt and some gravel. And the first time I did that, I was mostly just tiptoeing between the stones. And, you know, after six months or a year, I was running as fast as I could through the terrain. So that's an example of a kind of exercise you can do to gradually get used to it. And I just want to touch a little bit,
1: Ken, on your your own sort of running history. Just look at your Twitter mm-hmm. bio. So you've done more than 100 ultras. That's pretty <laughs> spectacular in itself. And and, and I think you've um, you've done some of those at a bit of a, uh, a pace as well, because you've set a couple of records along the way.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm certainly not an elite um, a runner by any stretch, but I've done 101 marathons and ultras. And as I get older, it's the balance is tipping more to marathons. But uh, and I've done. You know, as long as 100-mile races, I've done Badwater a couple of times. The The records, the the most important record I've set, uh, which I think I still hold, is the Badwater double. So that's from Badwater Basin to the top of Mount Whitney and back 292 miles. And it gets quite warm in Death Valley. It was 127 degrees when I was there and headwinds. Um, so that's my running career. And I've also done a lot of hiking. So I've done um, the Catskills grid. I've done the Adirondacks. These are, you know, nor- northeastern U.S. peaks. I think you guys in the U.K. have Monroe's, right? Mm. And you probably have lists of Monroe's. So th- this, is, this is a regional tradition. I'm trying to finish this year the 114 uh, peaks in the northeast over 4,000 feet, which I will have done all barefoot. So <laughs> that'll be a, another dubious uh, distinction. I just um, threw hiked the John Muir Trail this summer. So that was all barefoot, too. That was 211 miles um, with a pack and camping out. So that was a lot of fun uh, as well. But I love running. I love going fast. I'm not as fast as I used to be, but I I just love going to the track and doing uh, quarter mile splits or whatever. And a local 5K that's so much fun just to go all out and hang around with other runners and have a great time.
1: How did you first get into running? Was it something you always did from a kid or at school, or did you find it a little bit later on?
0: Well, in high school, I was I did fencing, and to, uh, to get to the next level, you have to start working on your cardio fitness. And my coach had me start to do some running. When I was young, though, I had chronic uh, shin splints. It's called compartment syndrome, and so I really couldn't run more than a mile before my shins would start to go numb. And I persisted for many years with that, and then eventually got surgery to correct the problem. I think today they understand that that chronic shin splint is exacerbated by the traditional running shoes with the big, you know, thick um, cushioned heels, because that that tilts you forward and transfers a lot of load to your to your shins. And if you go back to zero drop or flat shoes, you know, typically, or at least in my case, oh, it just tore apart my calves, because now it was finally shifting the load back to the calves, which is where it should be, but the calves were my calves weren't used to it so it took a quite a while to get used to it, to it so you know I, I it was really in my uh 40s that i became a more serious runner and i was just i was at work i was getting promoted i was getting promoted because people were dropping by the wayside either retiring early for health reasons or disappearing on extended <laughs> medical leave and i was like huh there's a pattern here <laughs> So that's when I I started uh, getting more serious about running. And I said, you know, by the way, when I was a kid, I remember I went to a karate special training and somebody was like, see that guy over there? He just turned 40. And for his 40th birthday, he ran 40 miles. And we were like, oh, my God, how can you do that? And I, of course, forgot about that until I was 39. (laughs) I was like, all right, I got to do that, too. And I didn't. It, it took me until my 42nd birthday. But uh, that's when I discovered ultras. Uh, and that's they really caught my attention and, and gave me that goal and that excitement of being outdoors. And then that's when I really started uh, cranking out the ultras.
1: You mentioned the the joy of being out, outdoors. Is that what it's really all about when it comes to the ultras or, or perhaps that combined with that extra way of pushing yourself um, and, and seeing how much further you can go?
0: I think there are a lot of variables, Craig, but, and you know, not everybody's at the same. So some people are totally happy in office buildings, shopping mall, a fancy house with the air conditioning running. I I don't know. I mean, I've always been attracted to the outdoors. And as, like I said, when I got into my forties, I was like, you know, Ken, it's time to start paying attention to your health if you want to last. And then as I got into my fifties, uh, my hunger for nature just ratcheted up a whole nother level. Uh, and so now I spend a lot of time outdoors and, you know, our ancestors evolved, we think, right? As a species, <laughs> we evolved living basically naked outdoors. And that that's where we get our natural energy from. Uh, so I, I just think there's enormous energy that comes from being outdoors and again maybe not everybody cares but that's where my energy comes from
1: yeah I, th- I think it's really interesting for however many thousands upon thousands of years that that mankind has lived upon this planet that it's a it's a real dot at the end um that we've right. sort of lived in houses and houses that are the kind of houses we've got now with electricity and lighting and and everything that makes us so uh so comfortable and I wouldn't want to give it up but you do sort of think yeah there's probably a lot of us uh, a lot of the back of our brain saying, I want to get back out there in that part of nature that I'm so used to over my ancestry.
0: And, and I think that, you know, we come hardwired to respond to triggers. That's the question. Right. Um, because, you you know, John Muir's famous quote, the mountains are calling and I must go. Right. So I think a lot of us look up at, at the mountains and there we, we we fear that we we hear this call. And it's different for different people. Some people love the desert or the grasslands. Some people are attracted to birds or flowers uh, or the skies and clouds. But my theory is that, you know, Mother Nature gave us the strength to live outdoors, basically naked for much of our development. And part of that strength is the joy and the enthusiasm we feel in a natural setting I think that triggers, you know, these, these inner strengths. And so, and so somebody like Wim Hof says, you know, I want to go battle the cold or somebody else says I want to go climb that mountain. And a lot of us say, Hey, I just want to get out there and move and run. So the question again is um, if you live in a shopping mall in urban areas, office buildings, do you get the triggers? Uh, And, you know, that, that I think the answer is different for different people, but I, I, I myself, I would feel that being confined to those kinds of areas would be very depressing.
1: And and the other thing I suppose is, is that, I guess that ability, that development of being able to go inside yourself and survive when you're, I don't know, hundred miles into that 200 mile (laughs) run, you're halfway up that mountain and it looks like an awful long way to go. Uh, Is that something you enjoy in the moment or is it only when you look back that you think (laughs) that was great?
0: (laughs) You know, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, everybody can do that. So first of all, that's what life is. Life is overcoming challenges. When you have, and when you have the right goals, and when you're tapped into the sources of strength, I mean, you can do anything the body can handle without uh, falling apart. And to me, you know, people talk about the runner's high. And it's hard for me to say in this run or this race, you know, where was the runner's high? For, For me, I've experienced the runner's high very consistently at the end of the race, <laughs> yeah, because it's the because you've put out a huge amount of effort. By the way, when I start a race, the first half of it, I'm often in a sort of grim uh, frame of mind because I know how much effort I need to put out. And once I get to the halfway part and it's then starting to be downhill, you know, then my enthusiasm starts to 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 rise. But it's the finish line, and, and you have this wonderful self affirmation: "I did it," and you did something that is a basic human capability, which is covering distance. Right? That's what that's what differentiated us from our cousins who stayed in the trees <laughs> and didn't want to <laughs> drop to the ground and go running off across the uh, the, de- the desert. Um, so it's that incredible relief and s- that the ordeal is over, and the sense of satisfaction. And when you run and race enough, that runner's high at the end starts to become your entire life, mm. right? So to me, runner's high is your whole life because you're doing enough of this activity to create that, that positive self-affirmation.
1: So so we're talking on um, on January the 2nd, uh, another year of running no doubt ahead of you. What are your goals for, for 2023 and, and how are you gonna seek out that runner's high again?
0: Yeah, well, I'm already signed up for three um, marathons, and um, I'll, I'll do probably up to ten uh, this year. So that's the running side. Plus, as many five k's and ten k's and a half marathons as I can fit into the into the schedule. One particular goal is to run the uh, Fort Worth Cowtown Marathon wearing a cow costume. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know um, that will be a little bit different, but you know, to me, that's just having fun. At a race I've run before and enjoy, and I like the people and the culture down there. So that's just about having fun. Um, Otherwise, I've got more peaks to climb. As I mentioned, I want to do the 114 highest peaks in in the northeast of the U.S. So I've got close to 30 peaks to climb in New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine this year if I can get out and do those. And and so that's, um, those would be my main goals for uh, 2023.
1: And I'm noticing that those are mainly that they're kind of like challenges rather than saying, I want to run a marathon in two hours, three hours, four hours. You know, I want to do uh, one, two, three thousand miles in the year. It's it's about hitting the physical, the actual physical challenges rather than rather than uh, achieving a number.
0: Yeah, I spend a lot of time. I think choosing the right goals is very important. I spend a lot of time on goals. Uh, and so this is what I have. And there's nothing wrong with those other kinds of goals. It just depends on who you are. My mileage is different. I um, I have a different set of procedures. So my mileage tends to be, you know, I track injury and irritation status in my training logs. So I will dial back miles if I don't feel 100% green status. So I'm not as focused on miles. I keep track of my barefoot miles just for fun. So I'm at 10,100 now and I'm sure I'll get to 11,000 but that's yeah. just milestones along the way. That's not per se a goal.
1: And just finally, uh, we, we should go back to the um the SRT run um mm-hmm. so people can get uh, involved and get themselves entered into that uh, so we can help you get as many people along as possible I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, we have the capacity for a a big crowd. It's such a beautiful part of New York State. So if you're going to be in New York in September, um, so first of all, if you're listening to this podcast, as the race director, I would like to personally extend an invitation. And Craig, you're going to get uh, an email with your personal invitation. But you can go to our website, www.srtrun.com, right? And there's a lot of information there and there's a contact us form. The contact us form goes straight to me and I will come back to you to answer any question you have. And, you know, we've been doing it, this will be our ninth year and we get a lot of folks to write race reports. So we have all a ton of information and people have questions about the unusual format. We'll get you answers. We'll give you the right guidance and we welcome you here. Please, please do come join us if you can.
1: Fantastic. And and is there a a number of people you normally get or any limit on that
0: or the more the merrier? The more the merrier. We're, we're up around 200, typically, plus or minus. So it's not a, a huge event, but we have room for as many people as would like to come out and do it.
1: Well, it sounds uh, brutal and beautiful all in one go as an event. It sounds absolutely fantastic. So uh, uh, I'd definitely encourage people to, uh, to to go and check it out and, uh, and get involved if they can. Ken, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us on Running Tales. I, I really appreciate
0: it. Craig, uh, I'm delighted. Thank you so much. Have a great start to 2023.
1: Thanks again to Ken for joining us on the Running Tales podcast. So much to take in there from the achievements that he's done to the way that he runs and, of course, the Schwengen trail run as well, which sounds absolutely fantastic. I hope you enjoyed our chat as much as I did, although I am slightly worried that if I'm not careful that I might soon be running through an American mountain range. I think it would be absolutely superb, though. Just before I go, I wanted to take a moment to ask all of you, our wonderful listeners, to take some time out to give us a review or a rating wherever you listen to Running Tales. Those positive reviews really do mean that the podcast gets seen by a wider audience. The more we get, then the more people get to listen to the inspiring stories of fabulous guests like Ken. Also, if you want to see and hear more of our content, then you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Running Pod, on Facebook where our page is Running Tales, or you can check out our YouTube channel. That's at Running Tales Pod. There's also our newsletter, which you can subscribe to by visiting substack.com, where you can find written versions of these podcasts, as well as all sorts of articles about a variety of things across the world of running, and our regular newsletter updates. Thank you as ever for all of your support. I hope to see you all again next week for another Running Tales podcast.